Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Forgive me for running off the fine and the one thing I have to do Welcome to the Washed Up Emo Podcast, episode 97. Today we welcome Tim Kasher from Cursive, The Good Life, and a very successful solo career to boot with a just-released album entitled No Resolution on 15 Passenger Records. Tim and I chat about his early bands, and even one that opened up for 311 in high school. Uh, his desperation to be on Caulfield Records and the influence of Fugazi on him. And we discuss what he'd love to be doing in the future, and even at 70. I couldn't be happier to check Cursive off the list of bands for the podcast, and after speaking with Tim, it was well worth the wait. This is episode 97 of the Washed Up Email Podcast with Tim Kasher. Tim Kasher, thank you for being on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So, we're going to start from the beginning. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to move quick, Um, but did you grow up in Nebraska? Yep, in Omaha. And you are born there... Mm-hmm. everything yep. um who first taught you about music what was those first uh, musical uh moments? um well there was uh to go to really go back uh, wait, i don't really have music in the family uh other than i mean i lived with our grandma lived with us and she had an organ in the basement and that's kind of like one of the only like uh you know like lineages that we can kind of come up with as far as music in the family uh but lots of older brothers and sisters so there were uh, there were uh, older fellas in a music scene that I didn't even understand existed yet. Uh, growing up in Omaha, it wouldn't be like growing up in major cities where you, you there wasn't even a daydream, con- a conceptualized daydream yet of um, that you could start your own band and write your own songs and stuff <laughs> like that. But there were older, uh, older guys that were doing that. There's bands like called Fifth of May. There's um, uh, it's a family of the Maxwells. I'm still friends with all those guys. Uh, and they and so there's a lot of cool music that was being filtered th- through them to my brother, older brother. So um, and that's how you were. Yeah. So then I was. So I was. So I had the benefit of listening to like Violent Femmes and Cure and all that stuff. Like in like the early grade school years. Was that tapes? Was that vinyl? Mm-hmm. What tapes. They? Yeah. yeah, tapes. Yeah, I mean, we Mixed had tapes. vinyls. I mean, we had records, too. That's uh, my first record I bought that I chose on my own without um, influence from uh, siblings was Men Without Hats. 
Nice. I know. I feel good about that. And then I picked up Police Synchronicity, which is, you know, a pretty cool police record. Of course. <laughs> uh, so what What sort of, I mean, was it listening to music? Did, when did you start going to shows? When did you start kind of getting that there was like something more? That was huge. That was huge for us. I think it's... And maybe again, maybe it's different uh, in smaller cities. But um, I grew up in a small city. Okay, well, so there was a revelation. We got uh, Matt McGinn, who's in cursive. Uh, we got we grew up in the same neighborhood and grew up together. And uh, we had we got in- excited at the, around the same time to pick up uh, like a guitar and a bass, respectively, and start learning uh, to play. But uh, it was to to do covers. Yeah, you know I mean, because that was that's all you knew. Yeah, and it's all it's and again, it was like that was what the daydream that could afford us was like. Oh yeah, while well, we could be in a band, we could do a band and we could play high school dances and stuff like that. Uh, so I don't remember the show specifically, but I do remember starting to hang out with people a little older than us and uh, uh, showing us, you know, shows at the FOE and uh, uh, you know. It, and uh, finding out that there was this whole like you know amazing scene, yeah, of underground of people like writing their own song. You know, I mean that that sounds so obvious, and but no, but, I, but it wasn't to us. It was like, oh, this is no. It's like, wait, wait a minute. There's a record store. Wait a minute. There's uh-huh. a zine, and you open it, and it's this information. It's not like, I mean, how many tabs do I have open? How many things are open on mm-hmm. your phone? It was like. One by one, your mind's kind of opening up. I do remember actually an early show that I went to was in because you just helped remind me because of record stores. The Antiquarium was in Omaha. It was a very it was like really well known um, store for a long time. Uh, went there to see uh, Vic Chestnut, and uh, and so that was like in an upstairs, like probably like twenty five people mm-hmm. were there. In Simon Joyner was opening that show and Simon Joyner, if you're familiar with him, he's like, he's for, he's like a real kind of legend slash hero for us for, uh, uh, I haven't heard of him. You should check him out. He's I will. Great. Um, I, I like Connor Obris is like really like he's taken him out on tours and, you know, talks about him a lot as well, but he's a, he's a, a important part of our like Omaha history. Thing is, is that he's only like maybe a couple of years older than me, but I've oh, always, wow. I've, I've always felt like he's a lot older because he, Jumped in. He was in it sooner, and already yeah. had, had already had his first cassette out. I picked it up that day, and you know, been buying his records ever since. Um, yeah, but a lot of great stuff. In Omaha. And then starting your first band, right? Was uh-huh. it? I mean, I'm sure there were other iterations, but Slow Down Virginia was definitely yeah, the first. And it, the, so the cover band was um, it was March Hairs, and then we, and then I started writing songs for March Hairs. And then we started recognizing like this business model of let's do at least play these cover shows, play these cover songs at the high school dances so that we can um, uh, afford to go into the studio with our, do our own originals. Shit. Yeah. So we put <laughs> what out a concept. Yeah. So we put out two cassettes as March Hairs and then switched to Slow Down Virginia. Um, and then from there, were there bands that you were starting to connect with and kind of, I mean, cultivate that scene i want to talk about obviously saddle creek because that you know intertwines all of this but it seemed like could you feel a swell could you feel more people showing up the record store having more like i mean again you're i grew up in a small town middle of nowhere you can make an impact you can learn Mm -hmm. really quickly a funny uh a funny uh unique 
uh, scenario about uh, Omaha back then is that there was a band that was really blowing up. Uh, it was 311. Oh, you're right. <laughs> so March Hares used to open you for 311. Right. Uh, sure, right, but I'm saying like, I it, forgot some completely. Yeah, it's, from no, there. it's kind of a funny tidbit, <laughs> funny bit of trivia about. Uh, so uh, you guys would open for them? Yeah, all the time. Uh, I we had I don't know that we were ever all, all that good, but maybe we were interesting. <laughs> uh, but we also had um, the benefit of such a you know of like being those high school kids, and so there was a lot. We brought a lot of high school kids yeah. out. You know, a lot of just our friends and yeah. people who thought it was neat that we were doing a band. Uh, it, 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 that's yeah, three eleven, and then they moved to Van Nuys. Uh, but they—I mean—it really was interesting and palpable to watch that because they actually really did get huge. Like they were kind of destined to—they were huge. Like getting to watch it firsthand. That's not yeah. a band that was just like properly marketed. <laughs> they were marketing themselves. Like they weren't even marketing. They were just like people couldn't help but like they just loved them. They were playing in front of like thousands of people in Omaha before they moved wow. to California. Like they just really were. They just were tapping into something that people wanted to hear. I guess, yeah, you know. Um, and they were smart. I mean, I'm sure they were smart about either marketing or having. The right yeah, stuff but that or, makes it sound like there wasn't good music in Omaha. There was plenty. I mean, there was uh, Mercy Rule and Mousetrap. There's just you know punk bands that uh, that uh, were really eye opening yeah. for us. Um, that was so. That was cool. I mean, for uh, for me, getting into the <clears throat> scene and you know hearing. Um, uh, like, well, look, reading a seven inch, or you know, reading the liner notes a seven inch, or looking at other like distros, you know, things would pop up. Caulfield Records, yeah, mm-hmm. and Saddle Side Creek, mm-hmm. and you know what? To have a label like that, those I mean those two, like they're helping cultivate. What was that? What was it? Kind of put it on Omaha on the map in my in, at that time period, nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, what was so important about having that? label and having that place to uh release things uh as a community it felt like a community yeah well it was really cool and there was um i uh you know god god bless caulfield in in uh in uh bernie who's like you know a great I, guy i've had bernie on yeah and it's become you know a, you know a good buddy over the years but you know we were another band that just desperately wanted to be on caulfield and we'd send him really? you know send him stuff and <laughs> And I'm sure he just needed to be selective, I'm sure. I mean, he was just putting his own money into it and stuff. Um, but we, you know, ended up, it's not like it was as, as retaliation because we couldn't get on Caulfield at all, but recognizing that it's like, oh, he's Caulfield. They do it themselves. Sideshow's doing it themselves. And it's like, we need to, you know, we, we can't just be looking for handouts everywhere. We yeah. can be doing this ourselves, too. Um, I mean, we did, there was a certain, uh, we recognize, I recognize a certain, leg up that we are already receiving um uh lullaby for the working class had, mm-hmm. had signed to bar none commander venus did um you know uh it was grass which became wind up and they ended up putting us on thick as an imprint you know uh uh cursive did um crank yeah i'm gonna mention that later and, yeah like and well, so we are so we kind of did find a little bit of like early um you know, early, like, odd, surprising success to all of us of actually, like, finding national... I mean, because we still were, like, Omaha, Nebraska, and super nobodies. Yeah. You know? Like, nobody... It was a hard... A tough place to come out of, kind of, and... Um, so that was... So I think maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that was 
kind of how at the time Lumberjack Records, which became Saddle Creek, um, how it, it, it initially, you know, that was putting out like Conor Oberst's first cassette and putting out Slowdown Virginia, and it was very much like our boutique like thing that was local and it was just kind of like a, it was you know, like what a lot of us did was like just something yeah. to stamp on the back of your cassette or yeah your you just CD. want to have it somewhat legit yeah and you kind of make it some <laughs> kind of community yeah you give off an impression of having a label <laughs> but um but yeah there was a pretty important uh point where we decided like well we could do you want to just take a chance and if we take these you know like say like those three bands i said i mean commander venus ended up kind of like disbanding but but connor in bright eyes came out of that pretty quickly um like we could just like why don't we just come together and mm-hmm. we could just do it ourselves on this label and like yeah i mean and it's not like we had tons of prospects yeah. you know they're like yeah let's just try well that. let's do it together yeah it's kind of there's something beautiful to that mm-hmm. where you're coming together and be like well it's only one around here let's mm-hmm. kind of figure this out mm-hmm. um was there any, um, res- I mean, again, those early records for you guys, um, especially Saddle Creek and even you personally with music, it just seemed like people instantly connected to it. Yes, there's a marketing involved. Yes, there was. But it was also slower. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was touring. It was, you know, hit, you know, word of mouth. There wasn't, it's not like you guys were throwing up Instagram posts. <laughs> no, you know, no, that's the. Yeah, and it, you know, it was pretty slow. And in, in you know, being on Crank definitely it definitely helped, but I'll also su- suggest that we weren't, you know, like blowing off the barn doors though either at that point. I mean, there was bands like Mineral that were like really like making an impact as far as being on mm-hmm. Crank at that time. Um, but it did it did help. I mean, and we recognize even though the shows were you know very small, uh, and um you know, and we were just like losing money on the road, there was still a benefit that we had that most bands don't get. And I try to, and I remind, I remind myself of the importance of just of what that label, that imprint can be sometimes is that at least we could still show up in Kentucky. The kids are going to show up. Not me at that point, like not many, but people actually would know who you were. And we're like, oh, wow, this is like, you know. Yeah, it was Crazy. national distribution. Yeah. They had in stores. It was huge. The uh, the first I was going to ask that the first album was on Crank. Mm-hmm. Why was it because Saddle Creek wasn't up, or you guys had a why? Why was it on Crank, and then it, you know that first one? Yeah, because that was still uh, early on, early on enough that um, we you know lumber, at the time Lumberjack Records, which is what Saddle Creek was until we realized that there was a lumberjack distribution <laughs> and we're like oh and they're like yeah we don't we don't want you to use that name yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're like okay <laughs> fair enough we we're from Omaha we didn't know that uh, <laughs> couldn't really search it yeah no uh-uh. um so uh so lumberjack still wasn't really it was, up and running it, it was but it wasn't um it wasn't um it wasn't a good option it, it, and I remember those, I remember that, those, I remember that time. I mean, it was like, that's not, that's what you do if you're like really down and out and you can't release it anywhere. Yeah. So we were still trying, sending around and trying to find stuff and, and, um, actually managed to like, you know, pick up interest from Crank, which was like, that was, I mean, that, I mean, you remember that time well, obviously, I mean, that was really astounding to be, to end up stoking interest from crank because we listened i mean we were listening to crank all the time yeah all the emo diaries and the stuff they were releasing yeah i guess for 
I mean, that time was definitely, um, I think, amazing. I mean, th- again, those first two records that you guys did, like for me, were so important in like the sound. And it wasn't just the Midwest thing, but it was also a little West Coast, a little, you know, I was from the East Coast. It just, it seemed to have different things. But I also think it's because you were in the middle of nowhere and you were just doing it. Mm-hmm. What were some of those early thoughts about those first two records, which I think, you know, let a lot of people down the path of that genre or that, at least that sound of dissonant, uh, of openness, of chaos, but also together. Uh, gosh, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure if I know how to answer that. Like when you um, went all in the room and you got in the room and you were like, let's start playing. Like, yeah. who was the kid? Like, there's always someone into hardcore. I there's think always the metal kid. There's always, <laughs> and the- we didn't really have that. We didn't really have that per se. It's kind of been the what's uh, maybe felt a little funny to us, or maybe made us feel um, a little queer as a band that didn't like fit into the the uh, genres as well. Because we didn't, we there wasn't a hardcore kid. There wasn't never been really? a hardcore person in cursive. There hasn't been. We've been only like loosely into metal i mean really into metal a lot more now now that we're older we didn't really grow up on it <laughs> we're all very um very indie rock but but post-hardcore i suppose too because yeah. Ozzy was definitely like a huge i could have gotten to that earlier that that was one of the bands that i found in high school that um that was really like you know in the at a very formative time um why why do you think that i mean every person that i've interviewed from a certain age has mentioned them, but it's all kind of from different places where an older brother got it into him or they got into it later. But at some point through their life, that band connected through. Yeah, I said um, there was uh, okay, just last night I was talking about uh, I was talking with some people at the show that about influence and how I really tend to seek influence out from uh, other mediums other than music uh you don't really want to pick up influence from music you kind of want to just like forge your own way uh so you know i said that and so you kind of for me it's like you i look for books and film and stuff like that um and then like other types of music altogether like just going into you know just something that's like far away from further away from what we actually do that said um in like those like formative teen years uh I actually, I've, I regret to, I regret to like listen back and realize that I actually picked up like really very, um, uh, you know, very real influence from Fugazi as far as like some of the stuff that we mm-hmm. did. It was actually just sounding maybe a lot like Fugazi. Never intended that, though. I suppose you shouldn't. You should never intend that. What I want to get at though is that uh, yeah, the Fugazi is really important to mention because I think the great influence of Fugazi is. Um, is like ethics and um, aesthetic. Uh, Listeners have heard me say those two words many times. Okay, yeah. Well, because that's... That's it. I think that was the revelation that I had when I listened to them was like, this is... And it's not just ethics as in the lyrics that they're saying. It was almost like an ethic and like a, a discipline, you know, into... Um, and you just like felt it conveyed like on the entire album, on every song. Uh, and that was really changing for me. And I think that really helped um, shape who I am as a musician. Um, and that's great. And I really only say that as like a compliment and as a thank you to those, to that band, to those guys. Because uh, I think they did that for a lot of people and, um, and uh, kind of uh, set, a, set a really positive pathway to, uh, 
for that for like isn't that that's a, that's and then for someone for, to pass it on yes. for you to give that message to someone else and someone in that crowd last night heard that and then they're going to go on and do that that thought yeah that, that way a, of thinking it's a great it's 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 it should be instilled it's great to have that in, it doesn't have to be instilled in music but it's great to have that instilled in music um and it just seems like it's it's just innately like i don't know i've seen him speak i've seen him play it's just it's the, it, there's some not aura because that sounds weird but there's something that just permeates from it mm-hmm. um that inspires you or mm-hmm. You get out and you want to like go do something. It could be protesting. It could be music. It could be writing, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, yeah. So definitely special. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for those first two records, first records on Crank, seconds on Saddle Creek, that damn word emo. <laughs> it, you know, it got brought up. Um, did, you, when, did you remember the first time you heard the word? I don't know if I remember the first, very first time. I do remember the first time we heard Screamo. We'd already f- become familiar with. See, now that's a great thing to bring up, everybody. <laughs> it was, there was the Screamo of, that was a different thing. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was like hardcore, but like chaos. Yeah. We just thought and it was wailing. Very, we thought it was a very funny, I mean, because emo already was coming off as a funny enough term. Yeah. Anyway. And then it's like, oh, there's a somebody came up with a variant called Screamo. It started, it started, it was starting to feel ridiculous, like pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, some of the earlier, if it's like Policy of Three or Frail or Four Hundred Years, like that was kind of. But yeah, no, definitely the. But do you remember? You know, was it being when it was being attributed? To your band, I can't. So I can't remember a specific time, but I do remember. And I think this is kind of fun to reminisce about. Is I do remember us going out, you know, on those early tours and being introduced to this like greater scene and greater community that we, you know, similar to I was saying, like when you're 14, you're like, oh my gosh, there's this local music scene, yeah, and then like, oh my gosh, there's this national music scene, like waking up to this stuff again pre pre internet for the most part. Um. But it wasn't just the word emo. I mean, it was like words like uh, zine and merch and, distro. you know, like distro. And we just thought all the words were kind of funny. It's just like, why is everyone shortening all these words? <laughs> you know, and so that used to be kind of a running joke um, in the van until we got used to it and just realized, oh, these are just like, these are just the terms that we use, you know. Uh, but I, so I do remember all of that. I remember everything seeming like a seeming kind of peculiar but i also remember being um you know young and kind of um uh like for lack of a better word kind of like scared it's not it's not really the right <laughs> not the right way to put it yeah but scared about how naive, how naive i was and so i didn't like being you know like a 21 year old and going to these different scenes in different states and um and uh you know, being grilled on what bands you listen to and, and know and stuff like that and just being like, I don't know <laughs> any of these bands. And I, <laughs> you know, and it makes you feel like, am I... You're like, a, I got to go read a very catalog. Yeah, yeah. Am just I to able, like, Saul you, Goodman, just to like catch up. Yeah, makes you like worried you're a poser or something like that. It was it was such a relief once I was able to like kind of like grow up you know pretty quickly like grow out of that and be like it's okay you don't you know it's like i'm not familiar with the bands you're I'm listening, listening to. to early dylan i'm in a weird phase right now what um do you what were some of the you mentioned mineral but were there other ones that those from those tours or those other bands that you enjoyed sort of being with or uh touring with another band back from that those days that were you know really important to us uh 
was uh, Victor's Humor. Yes. And then The Regrets. And we did a tour with The Regrets. And so we got to be, you know, get to know those guys and. Um, Pause the podcast, listen to Vitreous Humor and the, regret, and the Regrets, and come back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Very important. Yeah. Uh, just awesome. I, we were, I was just hanging out with the Cursive guys the other week, and um, we started got, went down a trail of talking about Regrets and talking about the guys and just missing, you know, reminiscing about that, that tour. I mean, that was a, that's a long-ass time ago, but that's what we're talking about, I guess, right? <laughs> I don't know, 98 or something? Yeah, like 97, that. 98, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> yes, it was Tim. <laughs> uh, Compound Red was a band that we were out on tour with too, and mm-hmm. um, they were a Wisconsin band. And um, uh, I'd kind of gotten out of touch with them, but there was a gentleman like James Minor. Yes, um, I love James. Know, we've stayed in touch with over the years. Yeah, yeah. He. Uh, it was funny when I just started just grilling him, you know, and just like tell me about this, tell me about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the other part too that I thought is that time period. It wasn't, yes, there were zines. Yes, there were things going on, but it wasn't really documented. Mm-hmm. I just don't think there was, yes, there was a photographer, but physical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, there could have been an interview, but a physical zine that maybe had five issues and is mm-hmm. now gone. Um, that's what I think really special about it is that it wasn't all online. Yes, there were things online. Yes, you probably had an email or someone did. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a website. So right. uh, that's what I love about that period where it was kind of each place you went or toured there were kids that had no clue or maybe heard one thing didn't know what you look like there was it's interesting and was uh kind of cool to be to be doing this over the slow and and then um you know the slow growth of the internet that but then overnight like the explosion of the internet and i guess for that for us having that context yeah it's really weird and for us i guess it was um, I mean, is it right to say, I mean, for us, maybe like a little bit after Domestica, like around Domestica, that's just like using my personal timeline, yeah. but that's like came out in 2000. 2000. Um, and is that kind of when the internet like really started taking off? I mean, I got my first <laughs> phone in 2000. I remember internet at my school in like 99, 98. Mm-hmm. That was like a fucking huge deal. Yeah. It was, I was in your dorm room. Are you kidding me? Oh, like, okay. that's nuts. That was yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. It was like that time, but yeah, it, it th- you kind of felt like things got quick mm-hmm. and bands that before like you had an email and now you needed to do th- more things as your band was progressing. It's right, like who's yeah. updating that or who's putting the MySpace thing up in the certain mm-hmm. right way or whatever the convoluted thing was. So in that slow in those like maybe like in that short span of maybe like let's say 3 or 4 years you know, I mentioned earlier, like being in Kentucky and, you know, like on the first record and not many people being there, but, um, but having a few kids knowing who you were and it's like, oh, this is like, wow, the power of being on crank, you know, yeah. this is really cool. Uh, and then fast forward only a little bit to like the internet blowing up that much more and are doing our first trip to Europe when we really shouldn't we didn't even need to be going over there but you know we're kind of you get kind of an invite a kind of yeah. an invite and that people are helping set up um, shows and you know doing um, you know playing kind of like weird cool places like bunkers and houses that are just with full of squatters and uh, did it that tour it was a sharing a van with uh, Appleseed cast uh, but getting over, so getting overseas and getting into Germany and and having people singing 
along, I think might be something that new bands now would maybe kind of take for granted in like maybe like the way the globalization that kind of the internet I can instantly hear. Yeah. You know, maybe it's just like not as strange of a concept for a band of 21 year olds right now to play in Frankfurt and be like, yeah, no, they're familiar with it. That's it's online. But um, it was staggering for us. We didn't even we couldn't even understand. We couldn't wrap our heads around the internet enough. Was that, that the time. internet, or was that Crank having distro, or Saddle Creek having that, distro? That there? felt that felt more like that felt more like internet at that point. That the internet was like helping that the you know the reach that much more. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but that's that yeah. My no, it, I definitely agree. That's that was it. People could hear it, and mm-hmm. they could go. It was more people. That's that's the best part about it. More people. Mm-hmm. Or around, it's just getting through the the noise of yeah. having people pay attention. Uh, there's always something I've wanted to ask you, and this is just for me, and I might edit it out. <laughs> there was a show I saw of yours at Brownies around mm-hmm. 2000. I moved to New York in 2000, and I could have sworn you showed up in a car, like <laughs> a small, like a like a I. S- you and somebody else and there was like there was equipment in the back of a, like a maybe it was a larger car but it was definitely not a van and i'd i it's like i you know when you have like certain memories burned in your eye like uh-huh. brain i have like i'm on the corner across from brownie's kitty corner i'm looking over i'm like that's cursive getting out of a car okay uh yeah we toured um we this is huge for me guys yeah <laughs> Um, I had a um, I had a Mercury Villager that we used as a tour van for a little while there. So I that bet might it was have been... that, and that's like yeah, if you know that that's like a smallish yeah, you know at that time modern looking minivan. Totally. So that's probably what it was. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, we did. I mean, the trick back then, or it's a good trick for any bands that are trying to fit into this, you know, whatever they can afford. And I'm sure a lot of it's just a very obvious thing for a lot of people, but was um, you know, keeping the the uh, uh, the shell, you know, your shells like your tubs, like I'm um, just stacking them into each other, so your drums only take up about this much space. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess you can't see that, everybody, but... <laughs> Visualize it, everybody. It's basically just the size of a bass drum, because then you can put your floor tom and your rack tom and your snare, you can put all put them in, in, one inside the other. So. Drummers, pay attention. <laughs> like Russian dolls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, was a, that, that was a fun time, um, especially that record coming out and so many people reacting to it. And Brownies was a fun time. Yeah. That was such a cool place. It was really exciting to like, come to New York, and I did. I mean, I feel like we did a hand, definitely did a handful of brownie shows. That was it. That's yeah. where you played. It's funny to think that that you felt huge, and that I don't know how many people fit in that place. It's a very, that's a very uh, grade school locker, yeah, scenario. Like when you go back to your grade school and everything looks so small. <laughs> uh, I remember like towering over the cubbies. Yeah, I remember a, a CMJ. It's probably a CMJ. I mean, it's a CMJ because there's bands to sell all over the place, yeah. all over the place. And um, getting a chance to poke my head into Brownies, and I'd already played there, probably, you know, maybe a couple times at least. And uh, getting a chance to poke my head in because Promise Ring was headlining, and the place was totally packed. And it was just like, oh my god, this band is just humongous. Look at this place; it's just fucking packed. <laughs> It's but humongous. you know, maybe 170 people in there or something like that. You know, <laughs> sorry, we can't let anybody else in. <laughs> sorry, Tim, you're gonna have to look from the window. <laughs> 
I had a situation where I was at CB's and I forget what band I wanted to see. I don't remember now, mm. but I had to give the door guy my wallet oh. to let me go in. Wow. And then he, I, I was 21 green mm-hmm. and I actually took $20. I remember getting a shirt or something and coming out and he handing me the wallet back. Wow. And I was like, I am way too trusting right now. Yeah. I'm from Vermont. I need to like stop trusting people yeah. <laughs> on St. Mark's. But that, you know, the, I think that was around CMJ too. Um, uh-huh. But that, again, that time, things were getting faster. Um, what about that record Domestica kind of took you? Because you sort of had a, you got the internet coming up. This record's yeah. doing really well. Saddle Creek's got some, you know, things happening. Domestica is... Um yeah, this is fun to talk about. This is I, I I like to I like to be coaxed into reminiscing. Uh, welcome to Wash Up Emo. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> uh, there was, and I think I can speak on on behalf of uh, Cursive that they, you know, the other the other fellows um, back then anyway. Um, that uh, a really important uh, tour for us was going out with Small Brown Bike, and it was for Domestica. And uh, we we're doing, you know, um, we we're just doing this like co-headlining thing. They ended up being really good friends and like kind of like lifelong friends. Um, I love those guys. Uh, but uh, that was the tour, like the tour that you know bands can talk about, whereas like the the significant you know sea change that was occurring, where it's just like night after night, it's, like and shows were selling out, and it was like kind of seemed like it was happening on like while we're on tour and. It kept getting, we're just in cities we've never been to before. And, and selling just like out. packing this place in. We're just like, whoa. And, you know, having to turn to each other and be like, what's going on? Do, do people like Domestica? <laughs> you know, that was, it was like, it's we like didn't you couldn't know. go on, like, you couldn't look, I don't know, you couldn't like easily look at things and be yeah. like, this is what's happening online. Yeah, you might have an article here or there, but mm-hmm. so you guys were like, what's going on? Yeah. And it was, it, and it was, it was neat. And it felt like, uh, at that time, it felt like a lot of, it, you know, at that young and at that younger age, it felt like you're a lifetime of putting your, you know, all of yourself into this. It's like, oh my gosh, people are finally paying attention to this now. So it was cool. That was and it like, must've been motivating. Yeah, absolutely. Like we can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, two songs that stick out for me from that. Um, which I think connected to a lot of people I mean, the record as a whole, because you would actually listen to a record, like when you still <laughs> would buy it or, you know, it wasn't as, um, you'd have it in your car and repeat it. Um, uh, the radiator hums mm-hmm. was always like, you know, a jam that I thought it was on every mixtape. <laughs> it was, you know, and it was funny how these were on. If a girl was like breaking up with you, you'd get it on there. <laughs> but also if you were like getting together, it was interesting yeah. like for a record Funny. that I think was about, you know, a breakup. If uh, it seemed somehow it turned into like a love and a and a hate record. That's uh, so ni- that's so nice to hear, though. It's so fun to think of songs those any of those songs back then being on mixtapes and stuff. I didn't. I mean, I was on the other end of it, so I didn't really get to witness these mixtapes. But like, it's fun to hear about. Yeah, and then um, definitely the martyr um, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, are those? I mean, when you look back and play your discography, sometimes like, what are what are some other ones from that record that kind of stick out to you, or ones that you still enjoy? Or well, um, the martyr about is, writing. The martyr is one of this, those songs that is uh, that's just that's a you know very well received song in our catalog 
that we absolutely don't mind playing. You know, there's there's a handful of those songs at least that I you know that we'll play practically every night and um and don't even mind it's just like i think that song's you know it's and you get a lot from the audience you know you recognize you can recognize yeah um you know that you're bringing a a, you're a a lot of you're playing the right song you know and people get really stoked uh like jimmy world does a good job of that (laughs) yeah like there's always a crotchety old dude not me maybe me sometimes (laughs) and it's like we'll throw a clarity song or Mm -hmm. you know something like that oh and then they kind of subside and then they can (laughs) but then i think too about and i want to bring up the ugly organ there's so many friends of mine that like that's it you know that's the album Mm -hmm. that's the that's the pinnacle and it's fun i've done like i said i've done dj nights over the years and it's Mm -hmm. funny to hear what people request by a band as the years progress oh, okay. and what songs stick and what albums, you know, mm-hmm. they're right now. I mean, so many more people are requesting off ugly organ versus me. Old crotchety man wants <laughs> right. the first two records or domestica. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that people, you have your whole discography and people start in one place. You're right. Mm-hmm. And then they go back and forth. Mm-hmm. If sometimes they do or sometimes they don't. Have you felt that over the years of like, yeah, Storms of Early Summer. Yeah, Tom's not at the show, so you don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> uh, like, do you feel that way? We, um, we, we're actually guilty of um, we don't really play off the first two records. And um, so I apologize about that. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, there's just um, <laughs> I'll live. people as such as yourself are... are a very small minority. <laughs> uh, Quote of the podcast. Yeah. Very true, Tim. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean the majority. I mean we we're <laughs> get it. We're get a band. It, <laughs> we're a band that started at Domestica for most people. Yeah, um, and then there's those other two records. We. Um, <laughs> this is going to sound like I'm um, not to be named. This is going to sound like I'm promoting and marketing, and I don't intend it that way. But we are now that we've started our new label. Um, we are going to we're, we're I think we're planning on doing like a double album of the first two records really um, to just kind of well for one because we've always loved that concept um, uh, whether it be like uh, I mean we're we're big Urge Overkill fans and they put together like Eat Jesus Urge Superstar yeah. and Americruiser together and we always thought that was super cool of course there's like the really seminal one which is Surfer Rosa and Come yeah. On Pilgrim Uh we just think that's kind of cool. So, like, lump them together and kind of um, repackage it for, like, this is the stuff that happened before Domestica, if you're interested, you know? <laughs> Tom <laughs> likes it. <laughs> There's, like, ten other people. Yeah. Fine. I'll do all the pre-orders. That's great. I want to talk about the new label um, um, when I talk about your record. But I guess quickly talking about Ugly Organ. 2003. We're starting mm-hmm. to get into the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. The sea of change a little bit. Internet is faster. <laughs> um, what was, what was, I guess we talked a little bit about that, about people showing up or you pe- being, going somewhere new and people learning or knowing you. But at that time, you know, tastes were shifting. You know, uh-huh. alt press might have had you guys a little bit more. Oh, now it's a sidebar. And now we're talking about this other more glossy thing or it just seemed like the, that independent scene, the tide was, it was bigger. There were more mm-hmm. people, more bands, more things, but the tastes were changing. Uh, yeah. Um, this 
era, I'm gonna have to lean on you more. That that would probably that that is the case. I'm not. This, well, this, also too, you guys were more. I was actually maybe this helps. Mm-hmm. At that time too, you were almost diversifying. It was I've got cursive, I've got good life, I got my uh-huh, solo stuff, right. and you were sort of in sort of a. I felt at when being looking out on the outside, it was like keeping yourself busy. <laughs> You've got yeah. this other project, and I've got these other people I want to work with. As you start meeting more bands and more people, mm-hmm. you want to do more, right? And I think it was sort of a. A left turn from we're not trying to make it. We're already you've already established yourself. It was more of I want to create more. Yeah, and that's very much why. And uh, yeah, I can actually go back a couple years as far as the good life is concerned because that's the reason I started that is because we were we were touring as cursive, but I had so many more. I had so many free months in the year, and uh, I really loved. I was really loving what I was starting to do. and it always, even when I'd started Cursive and was doing what I considered and felt, you know, and I'll use the word discipline because that's like based off of that Fugazi aesthetic again. It's just like, a, you know, this like heavier, um, uh, you know, disciplined music. Uh, I always had where I really started from, which is kind of like folk and again, like the lack of metal and hardcore people in our bands, uh, just kind of that indie rock world that we that we that we were kind of gobbling up as teenagers. Uh, and I knew I always wanted to go back eventually and be releasing or be doing that music as well. Uh, so yeah, so that's and so that's when I started Good Life. I was like, okay, I'm ready to start doing this. I can rec- I recognize that I have at least half of a year, half of the year every year mm-hmm. where I could be focusing on something else. And then it almost up. helps both, right? It's like I don't know. You go to work. You're not at home. You can kind of def- you got work, but then as soon as you get home, you're happy. It's that kind of yeah. And it and I'm not and, saying work and play, but and it seems it seems silly, but it is like it was like in this. It's like I do. It's like we most of us do need other jobs, and so I picked up another band. I just my other job was just another band. So when it's like we get off tour, it's like, okay, well I'm going to get back on tour now with the other band yeah, or like, you know, record the album or whatever. But, um, but yeah, we were on ugly organ. Um, I guess for that, I mean, it was that, that was another big, again, I guess the point of the, the pool was getting bigger, things were getting faster and mm -hmm. you guys wrote a record that people really connected with. Yeah, um, the as far as reminiscing goes, I think that the the big and important tour for that, in term, for, for me or the way I remember it, was um, being uh, was uh, Thursday taking us out. Uh, so this was in, this wasn't like the co-headline thing with Small Brown Bike, um, where we recognized like, oh, this is you know more significant than we'd realized. This was very much like Thursday was really fucking huge at that yeah. point and um <laughs> and it was and it was cool to you know that they were taking us out and um but we were expecting some, we were experiencing something that you that support acts don't generally get which was that, how the stoked people were on us it was like really um i think we i think we um i think we connected with like a lot of people with i mean so really really um owe a lot to Thursday for <laughs> taking us out in front of what apparently seemed to be the right people because it was uh, 
it was uh but you know there's just a there was a lot happening at that time too for us apparently were there other tours was there like press things or other things that stuck I know, out I guess just in general i mean i guess it was just something about that record that was connecting with people yeah um on a you know in a greater way than uh than domestica had but what i thought too was so great about the a lot of the tours i was actually someone just sent me a flyer from twisters um in richmond mm-hmm. and it had I, I should try to pull it up but it was like a sh- one show and it was you know a punk band an emo band a hardcore band mm-hmm. and it just it you look at it you read it and you're like that sounds cool <laughs> and i think as a fan I loved that when I mean I'm telling you that Thursday Cursive tour people flipped because they were fans of both and oh. it wasn't like you were just throwing five hardcore bands at me and I got to right. sit through four chugga chuggas to get <laughs> mm-hmm. to the one I want it was like this balance and I think the mid 2000s it got so sometimes derivative where it was like here's the sound we got to pump out this many bands and that was so different mm-hmm. and I think Thursday knew that like let's bring out someone that we love and we know that the fans are gonna um gravitate yeah. to did you did well, you see. sense that or no and but i appreciate their insight <laughs> for for recognizing that i guess uh we've you know definitely done other like later on done you know tours like a, like a pretty wacky tour that was like mastodon and alkaline trio and that's what i'm saying it but like but that was like it was a little re- weird but the reception wasn't you know as strong i think that was where it's like you do have a lot of people coming to hear metal yeah and uh um, oh, and I, mean, I guess that was um, against me too, right? Who's they were on that tour? Oh yeah, no, I'm sorry, it was against me and Mastodon. Oh. We did a separate tour with Alkaline Trio. Yeah, yeah. Um, but being able to go between all those genres for you guys as fans of music and new fans, it's mm-hmm. not like you're just stuck on pop punk tours, right? I'm you cursive <laughs> yeah. specifically, but um, it doesn't. It's like you're able to be in front of different people. Yeah, it's nice. It's been great for us. I mean, we've always and we've always tried to stick to like avoiding genre too much anyway. So it's nice to be invited onto different genre yeah. type of tours. Um, so balancing all of the bands, how has that been throughout the years? Um, yourself, good life, solo stuff. Uh, it's been fine. Uh, that around that air time that we were just talking about, uh, that was, uh, that's when it kind of became most taxing. I went from like, Oh, I have half a year open to, uh, I spent, um, I spent some of those years just like on tour the whole time. It seems wow. like, and, um, and probably just like, wasn't really like taking care of myself very well either. And, uh, so I think I, I mean, the exhaust was probably it's probably pretty harsh, but uh, but I kept doing it anyway um, until you know I did it all the way through getting basically getting through that those those two big records for me being Ugly Oregon and then Album of the Year and then after that I kind of I, I took some time off yeah and then started doing it what I think since then I think I've done it in a little bit more of a steady that was that was like hitting that was like constantly hitting the pavement it seemed like and now i feel like i'm more of a steady like a one album at a time one tour at a time when did what what took you what took you to get to that point was it was it a friend saying like oh man like or was it you looking at yourself one day and or was it something happened like serious or i think i wanted to i think i needed to i i still loved what i was doing and i still love it today um 
I remember uh, this a, con- a conversation that Connor and I would have often whenever we would happen to run it, like we were living together at the time, and we'd, whenever we would happen to be home at the same time, because we're both touring constantly, <laughs> um, we would commiserate about uh, how we kind of hated to be home and we felt shiftless. Interesting. Yeah, it was just like it was really um, unhealthy. I think ultimately, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, yeah, we just we only felt we had to constantly be moving. Like that's like we were touring so much that when we were you know plopped back home for like it would really honestly be like a week before the next tour started, and we would just drink heavily and get really depressed and just be like I just need to get I just need to go again. Uh, I think I was able to step outside of that and be like that's I don't want to live that way. I want to. You know, I want to enjoy, yeah, enjoy tour, but I want to enjoy home too. This is, it just wasn't feeling right, and uh, I think so. I think that was I kind of wanted to break out of that cycle, and that's ultimately what I think what I was managed to do around 2005. I started taking a lot of time off, and then by taking time off, I was able to jump back into it again. And then being and what what do you think changed as a was was writing easier? Was was uh, your head clear? Like what other things got easier from taking that time off and not sort of go into the vices uh probably just uh probably just balance just a better balance um i'm not i mean i'm not sure if i can think of anything more you know yeah. specific than that but just managing a balance and so now you, ever you felt since, better yeah and, and and i still get you know from a lot of my other like road dog touring friends you know like there's you know that kind of playful like oh my gosh you're you know suggesting that i still tour so much and I think I probably do still tour a lot, but it doesn't feel, I, you know, whenever I hear that, I'm like, I don't know. I was home for like myriad months last year. <laughs> and I, I always, so I spend a decent time. I spend a decent time doing other stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, do you, I guess for you doing all these things, do you see it continuing? Like, is this, is this, did you think that this would be your career? Did you think you would be able to do this as a full-time thing? Uh no, I mean definitely that w- that was you know once we started d- doing it in the late '90s that was that was the dream was to do it as a career but it felt like such a long shot. Uh, so yeah, I feel like incredibly grateful that I have been doing it for as long as I've been doing it now. Um, really, um, I mean, really overstaying my welcome, probably if anything. Uh, but. Uh, I think it's rare. I really think it <laughs> yeah. is. I mean, I talked about it with a couple of Jimmy World guys and others that are just had this longevity. And it's like I said, people, it's not like you had one record. You've mm. got, I could talk to 10 people on the street or that come to my DJ night or whatever. And I ask them about a specific cursive album or good life mm. or yourself. And it's all, it could be another, it, everyone's got a different one. It's not like everybody yeah. says one record, which is great. I appreciate that. That, that, that goes to it. That they're connecting with you throughout the years. Mm. Um, I mean, is there is there is there anything that surprised you about that? Were you like, were you expecting to go back to the the, uh, or I got to go back and get a real job? Uh, <laughs> well, I uh, well, you know, it should be it should be understood as well that I mean, I I know I mean for years and years now. I think there was there was a un, an incredibly uh, unusual and not um a, a, the the time after ugly oregon in an album of the year that's like the 
that's like that one spike in my career where it w- could w- it could have been suggested that it's like that I'm like a successful like a real successful like like mm-hmm. a like a real successful musician financially uh in com- you know comfortably but that was it i mean other than that um i'm you know that tapered off and i went back to um but this has been great i mean i've spent like a good like 10 years now in this like you know base basically in, in this comfort of um putting out records uh with the hope that they're received decently enough that i can keep doing records and um <clears throat> excuse me so that's just where i've been at for a while and it's 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 great it's a great place to it's, i mean it's, you can play any city right yeah and i mean who knows who's going to show up but some people will show up and um it's always um yeah i mean it's great i feel i still feel i mean yes i still feel very grateful and so each record i do i still manage to um you know afford the the ability or the right to do the next one Mm -hmm. and um i've been thinking about this more and more lately that it's not you know back to like you know like the kind of you know half joking about oversaying my welcome and that that kind of conversation that um like why you know like bands break up and like why do they break up and like why am i not somebody who (laughs) breaks up or like doesn't do it anymore (laughs) And uh, it's kind of more simply put, it's like, well, cause I'm just a, I'm just a, ri- I'm a writer anyway, and um, I'm still affording, uh, you know, the ability to get to put my stuff in front of people. But uh, if and when the time comes that I can no longer do that, well, I'm still going to have records. You yeah. might just have to email me for it. You know, <laughs> you're still going to do it. Yeah, it's, it's like still inside you. So that's just what it's just what I do. Uh, and then writing too. You've I know. Um, I was talking to Paul Fisher yesterday mm-hmm. from Better Looking. He says hi. Um, uh, hey, Paul. He uh, <clears throat> he was just he was kind of rem- he reminded me um, about you know your enjoyment of working on films mm-hmm. um, in screenwriting. What what about that? Have you enjoyed? Uh, well, I I mean I love it, but I, that's just uh, yeah, it's just kind of like writing as a whole. Um, but back, I guess around that time when I said I started taking time off and doing other stuff, that's really when that started. Um, I didn't say picking up, but it really never picked up for me in a matter of but you did it success. But yeah, but I've been writing um, screenplays now since for the last ten years, and uh, and it's it's a it's just a it's a been a great release for me, and I. And uh, it it's been tough for me to like stay focused on just on doing that. Like I'm trying to keep. I'm trying to remain because yeah, yeah, you know, over the years, and then I've shifted over to, you know, like I started in, like a novel for a little while and set that aside, and I'm just trying to keep myself um, kind of reined in to um, few things. Yeah, yeah, to like to <laughs> so that so you, so at least I can still have at least have the daydream of trying to, you know, um, put these things out into the world. Uh, so uh, yeah, but so I that's a tough business and it's an expensive business. And so I've had, um, I've had, uh, multiple ups and downs over the, these last 10 years of, you know, like writing said script and then like getting all the said 
interest and excitement and building a team around it and then it falling through and then and then doing starting over and then the exact same thing happens sort of, and it's an ugly cycle sort of like a relationship <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then me and then and then just swearing off in it and being like i'm not do i can't do this anymore and and then being like ah this is you know guys kind of back to like well this is just what i do and it's like well and i actually really do love it i love just the I, that's the my favorite um uh the what I, you know, like that drug that I strive for is that feeling at the end of the day of like a, a, a song well written mm-hmm. or like 10 pages of a script written and just like feeling like really good about it. And then I can just like, you know, head straight to happy hour and like just like have a did something have a yeah, just have like a celebratory drink and just feel great about the day. And that's kind of the way I want to live my life. Um but yeah, so I got sick of all that stuff. I feel like we're trying to jump in ahead, but got sick of all that stuff and finally managed finally to do my own low budget movie myself where I just kind of handled everything myself. And that was um, just, I think, one of the best things I could have done for myself personally to um, just actually like dive in instead of waiting around. I mean, it goes back to like the those mid-90s of like, are we going to wait around for Caulfield. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm putting Bernie under the bus. It's like really, it's no, just that I fun. respected and still respect and love Caulfield <laughs> and we always wanted to be on Caulfield. <laughs> but, you know, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't, um, couldn't get there. But, uh, but, uh, but that's great too. I think that probably helped us encourage doing it ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, I guess skipped ahead just because of time. Um, but I did want to mention um, your new stuff and um, the label 15 Passenger. Mm-hmm. So, what was the what was the you know I, I know why you started it you want to release your own stuff but when did you kind of would someone wake up and say holy shit we should just do this yeah Matt has been um Matt, so Matt as 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 you know as lifetime partners um he's also very creative but he would if he was here sitting here with me he'd be very comfortable with with accepting that maybe I'm more of the creative and he's more of the business he just loves business. Uh, and we work together. We're great. We're a great, um, couple, you know, in that sense. Um, uh, but so he, so Matt and myself and Ted, uh, Stevens, who we've been playing with in cursive for since Domestica, uh, uh, that's who, that's who's doing 15 passenger. But I do feel like it's kind of that, um, been a long time coming from Matt's perspective. Matt worked with Saddle Creek, worked um, he was a uh, he worked he worked in Saddle on how would you say in Saddle Creek on inside he was the Saddle Creek employee within, within Saddle <laughs> Creek for years and then he went off and you know started up um, uh, was uh, Team Love with Nate Crankle and with you know Connor mm-hmm. um, and ran that for a long time with those guys uh, so he has a lot of experience and he just that he like that's what he likes to do he likes to kind of run things himself and uh he likes he likes to be his own boss i think i would now yeah now he should be here to speak for me to speak on his own behalf <laughs> but um it's it's those are his those are his pursuits and he loves it and um and uh and it's and it's cool for us too i mean it's a lot of it is um um really topical to talk about with you and about again about you know the 90s because that's what we wanted to get back to and um there's maybe just a little bit of confusion fusion of um 
of you know like Saddle Creek. It's like, well, why are you doing that? It's like Saddle Creek's your label. And it's like, well, Saddle Creek is a collective, and it, it is in the sense of like all of our friends, like the friendships that mm-hmm. we have. Um, and it did start out as a collective, but I mean that label did great and is still doing great, and is a total. It's a totally like its own entity, uh, um, and uh, so this is us just getting to go back to doing it ourselves like totally ourselves again you know and it's just it's just fun there's no there's there's like you know zero financial gain to it and i mean who's starting up labels in 2017 you know to release two albums and <laughs> 10 people including myself like. yeah yeah <laughs> i mean precisely uh but it's just it just feels good it's just kind of like in that and um and uh it gives us more of an outlet to like give to back to like the community and it's not like in the philanthropic way of like you know um you know like giving to you know like like giving a charity yeah it's not but it's like the it's uh, not but it's like well in in um and contributing to this music community that we've been a part of for so long and that we really cherish and um you know just like being a part of it what other things are you going to be releasing? You have your record. You have the. You mentioned the double for the first two cursive. Yeah, other stuff? and we're going to do other cursive releases, and um, it's nothing I can like really like chat chat about yet. But we, you know, extra all, stuff kind of things. Yeah, like there's. I mean, like with uh, with it's been exciting enough for us that the cursive folk we've kind of been getting, you know, poking our noses around each other and seeing. What if there's something we want to, what we want to do with it? We definitely want to release cursive stuff down the road and trying to figure out what that is. Cool. Um, and then yeah, some other like pretty fun um, like series that um, I'm still kind of trying to like pull together from you know call from like different friends and stuff like that. And yeah, like nothing. I don't know, just stuff that hopefully will be kind of fun and stuff you know for like all of us collectors. Yeah. To, you know, put on the shelf and. Great, and then your new record. No resolution. Mm-hmm. Number three. Yeah, uh, I, I dig the name. Um, <laughs> um, what what some? I guess give everybody a little t- a taste of it and how it's different from the previous stuff. I know that's open ended, but if yeah, you um, boilerplate. Yeah, for well, for my now small but growing catalog, just under my own name, um, I I would I was uh, you know I started Game of Monogamy um, that came out in 2010, and that was. Uh, you know, like somewhere in the, it's kind of heavily orchestrated in sections um, or like arranged as far as like more, more cla- you know, traditional instruments with strings and whatnot and flute and oboe. And because uh, uh, I was, I was just getting off of, um, uh, I had been unusually like picked up to do like score work for like a movie. And I was just like really getting into that, um, into that realm then with adult film, I just jumped way back into um, wanting to do like a rock band again, and uh, and so and so as far as like this again with this new catalog, this feels uh, it's kind of more like Game of Monogamy again, but this one is also like more thoroughly arranged throughout. And mm-hmm. for me, I mean, this is maybe a little more particular for like the songwriter themselves, for myself, but this. Like it's is more like a homogenous record throughout than um, I t- I've always been really into doing stuff like really eclectically and having like that really brash song and then that really quiet sad <laughs> song and that in this stuff is um, 
and it's this is this is like neither good nor bad or anything. It's just commentary. Yeah, uh, that um, it just is a little bit more um, a little more focused um, in the uh, you know where I mean it's like there's just so many damn strings over the entire thing it really like is like that to me is like the main character um you know as far as like timbres throughout the record is just like this is this like presence of strings mm-hmm. throughout that we like really like you know like heavily wrote into all the into all the songs but it's pretty um low key and it's it's pretty low key and pretty you know downtrodden as one probably would expect <laughs> <laughs> is there and then there's an associated or there's a film associated with this correct mm-hmm. yeah. what's that about so it's also called no resolution and that's the one i was kind of getting at earlier that's where i finally um i had just um so it's just a you know a couple years ago now um was you know had my yet another script that i won't even mentioned that um just everybody wanted you know like everybody picked up on it and it was funded and um you know we're casting and, oh wow you and, really went down the trail and and uh and it uh and uh and then um uh and then the investor got cold feet and then i kind of got scapegoated for it um and uh now like i don't own, i no longer own it oh my god and uh that really frustrated me and uh so i immediately turned around and i was like i was i was making i was planning on making you know my first film this year and i still have the time open and i'm gonna do it i um kind of (laughs) coincidentally also like uh uh fractured you know like had a like slightly fractured my foot and so i really ended up like stuck at home for a few weeks and so i just like got a totally different story wrote the script in a few weeks and then started shooting it like two months later wow with um chicago theater actors that were like the best i could find they're like just really great actors that's not even me i mean you know, i'm trying to i'm really it's not that i'm selling it for the movie i'm selling it for the fact that people we are all we're all so dependent on name actors you know out of based out of hollywood or whatnot yeah it's like um, you saw the script like well who's who's gonna be that one yeah and then they all fall and it's like well and that's what had been hurting me for so many years was kind of because that's like, had to be part of the process because you're dealing with so much money but it's like once i was able to take like that um out egregious it? amount of money out of it um i still have access i still had access to known actors and stuff like that but i want i wanted to use i was living in chicago i was going to theater all the time and i wanted to use these people that i was like falling in love with their work and you know i took a stab and got in touch with some people that i were like my absolute favorite actors that i'd really? seen and they were really into it and they're the ones that That's are in the rad. they're the ones that are starring in in the movie and so it was really cool it was really fun shot it at my apartment in my apartment <laughs> in uh in uh, where was that? That was in Chicago. That was in Chicago, yeah. and then well, so when is that? That's going to be later this year. So yeah, we we can we so this is all <laughs> this is all very new to us. So we didn't really know how. We still don't know how to do that. How to promote? You know how to get this kind of stuff out in front of people. We decided it would be best to um, to go out and uh, promote the album first. And a lot of that reason is um, because. It's not a soundtrack. I mean, it really is. I mean, it is a soundtrack. Like, it is the songs that are also in that movie. Um, but they're very separate. They're still, like, very separate entities to us. And we didn't want people to get confused about this, like, not being the third. Uh, you know, catalog is just really important to me, I guess. And uh, 
so this is like the third entry into this like newer catalog that I'm building under my name um, that in a similar similar to what I did with Good Life with Help Wanted Nights it's just that I never got to make that damn movie mm-hmm. you know but that was another one that fell through the cracks like last minute uh I'm so happy you're doing this. And yeah. You, again, that broken foot turned into you being inspired to do it. And <laughs> yeah. Sometimes those things need to happen. Yeah. Um, that's great. Is there anything that you want to do that you haven't done? Is there a dream that, uh, that's kind of that's been in your dreams or been? I do have other. Up? I do have other dreams in my life. If I'm fortunate enough to like live a longer life, uh, the other things that I want to do is I wanted. I would like to have a third chapter of my life be actually writing books um because it's just another medium i love uh but back to like what i was saying i'm trying to keep myself focused and <laughs> focused him yeah trying to stay focused because i love the i love the marriage of uh film and music and so i feel like that's what i, I if i can be doing that i should be doing that because mm-hmm. uh because it's great it's awesome uh but yeah when i'm like older and maybe not as able to get around as much it'd be nice to at least continue writing but the other one is i want to be a jazz drummer really yes how's that i'm talking on? about like yeah in, i like, in, like that. in my 70s i like that yeah it's just i love drums i've started i've started um i've been saying this for years and years and years but i haven't but now i'm like semi kind of taking it seriously just in the sense that i bought a drum set and now i'm playing drums in bands and just kind of trying to like learn so I, I have it. 30 years. Yeah. If I can last. I think you can last, Tim. And then hopefully I can just like be playing like in the corner, you know, on the corner. I just know. read a stat that jazz musicians make on average $23,000 a year. <laughs> That's all I'll need. If That's I, all you'll need. Yeah. You'll get, no, you got your social security. You'll, mm-hmm. your, you'll be fine. That'll Excellent. be just a little nest egg. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool, Tim. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Washed Up Emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening, and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also printed volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com